Welcome to Rethinking the Gospel. I'm your host, Rob Massey. This is a podcast for Christians who want a deeper understanding of the scriptures, but don't have the time to dig in and do the research on current topics or a current interpretation of scripture. The goal is to move quick, but also to provide food for thought, things that you can think about later on or recognize that you've, you've not heard it that way before. I'm concerned that the Christian message has become uh, too oversimplified, uh, too many cliches, and those cliches, although they have truth embedded in them, have lost some of the power. Anyway, I hope you enjoy episode one. We're going to cover the first chapter of Matthew and uh, the gospel that he presented to the world. Uh, This is about the genealogy. It starts with the genealogy of Jesus. um, And he gets down to the point where he gets to Joseph, his stepfather, uh, and they end there. And then they pick up and they talk about the unusual circumstances of Jesus's birth. And so let's just cover this real quick. I think there's some really important points. I'm not going to read everything, but let's just start with the first verse. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Jesus, the Messiah, which is Christ, and the son of David, David and Abraham. So Jesus, Christ, uh, or Messiah, David and Abraham. These are the themes through the first uh, 18 verses. These words are repeated over and over and over again. And it's because... Uh, what they're trying to show you is that there is a royal line from Abraham all the way through Jesus. And that royal line came through David, from Abraham, through David, uh, down to Joseph, uh, where Jesus then was born. It's interesting that also among these names, you can see how it starts out in the second chap- second verse, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. Well, those are familiar names as we go through uh, the book of Genesis. Those are the names of the patriarchs that we see uh, highlighted and and, uh, identified. Now, what's interesting, though, Matthew uh, continues to write out the uh, list of the ancestors of Jesus. Uh, He mentions four women, and we're going to look at those, I think, primarily because I think it's super important that we recognize that he chose some very interesting uh, women uh, in the line. I mean, there was just as many women in the line of Jesus as there was men, right? So the first one he mentions is Tamar. Uh, Tamar was a Canaanite woman who was married to one of Judah's sons, actually married to at least two of his sons. And then when Judah would not allow her to marry the third son, she played the prostitute in order to become pregnant uh, by Judah. And very unusual uh, story. And then you'll see that also that there was uh, Rahab, who was supposedly the mother of Boaz. Now we do see, if you go and check the, the timelines there, it doesn't line up right. But we do recognize that Matthew and probably his hearers and readers uh, only knew of one Rahab, and that was Rahab, uh, the woman who saw that the Israelites uh, had something from God, and she um, worked with them to uh, facilitate their coming into the promised land, 
and uh, the city of uh, Jericho fell uh, because of her support. And so, but, but she's also called Rahab the harlot in those earlier scriptures. There's also Ruth. She was a Moabite woman. And so we've got two Canaanites, Rahab and Tamar, and then Ruth, who's a Moabite woman. And Ruth was married. Her husband died. She returned with her mother-in-law. If you remember the story from the book of Ruth, she returned with her mother-in-law to Israel. And there she met Boaz. And Boaz was a near kinsman. And Ruth did an unusual thing. And euphemistically, she basically said, and proposed to Boaz. And she went in while he was uh, threshing wheat, uh, threshing his uh, grain, and he, she laid down at his feet, raised the blanket that he was laying at, and laid there. And then when he woke up in the morning, he saw her there and recognized that she, she was asking him to, to marry her. And so very unusual. And then, then the final one that's mentioned here is uh, the wife of Uriah, who was the mother of Solomon, uh, and who became the wife of David. She was an adulteress that, and of course, the Old Testament really uh, leans heavy on David for the adultery, uh, but, um, but you can see that Matthew can't hardly bring himself to name her. He says, uh, uh, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and uh, she was a Hittite. Uh, so we've got two Canaanites, a Moabite and a Hittite, uh, that are the only women named in Jesus's lineage. And they are all women who actually saw the promises that were related to uh, the kingdom of God. They had insights into them, uh, but behaved in uh, sexually kind of unacceptable ways, um, according to Israel. Now, the later interpreters of these women and, and of the writings of uh, of the Hebrew scriptures, they began to kind of um, accommodate their behavior because they recognized that there was some sort of vision there. But so notice that these are all women with a an unusual past, uh, all women with an unusual past. Uh, they're all from origins uh, that are not uh, Israelite. And we're going to see that almost immediately when the Magi come and see Jesus from the east. We're just introducing very very subtly, Matthew is introducing very subtly this idea that Gentiles are going to be part of this thing that God is doing in the world. And uh, we end the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 18, 19, uh, etc., uh, where saying Jesus' great commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. So he's talking about a, a worldwide uh, kingdom, and Matthew is laying the kind of the groundwork for that here by saying not only was the Messiah uh, of, of gents had some Gentile origins, but he was also of this kingly line. So both kings and, and women of, of kind of um, questionable uh, sexual practices, uh, but all women who believed the promises of God. Uh, and we're going to see why that's important here in a minute. As we work our way through, we see Abraham in the second verse. We see David in the sixth verse. And then he, he breaks it down. It says from uh, names off about 14 different people in the line of, of Jesus prior to David, between Abraham and David. He names another 14 people between David and the time that they were carried away into Babylonian captivity. 
And then he names another 14 people down to Joseph uh, to that present day. And so he summarizes in the 17th verse. So you see this real emphasis on David and Abraham and, and Jesus the Christ. These are all, these same words are used in the 17th verse. But he says, so all in the 17th verse, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to de- the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. And so when you actually go back and look at this, we can, we can see that this is kind of wrong. I mean, it's roughly 900 years from Abraham to David. It's about another 400 years from David to the deportation into uh, Babylon. And it's another 600 years from the deportation to Babylon to, to Joseph. So they don't line up right uh, from an age. And we, all, and we know by looking at the lineage of David and the kings that reigned there, that at least five kings were not named. Um, and so this is a theological uh, statement that Matthew is trying to make. The theological statement is about 14, 14 from Abraham. It's talking about the royalty, this royal promise to Abraham that in him and in his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. That's uh, Genesis, the 12th chapter, third verse. When, when God called Abraham, he told him that he was destined and that his seed was destined to be the blessing uh, to this entire world and to all the people of the world. So the royalty, the royal promise came initially to Abraham. And then it again came to David. When David uh, took the throne, he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And in 2 Samuel, uh, the um, 7th chapter, the 12th, 13th, 14th, verse 15, 16, that whole section in there, Nathan is telling uh, David what God's response is to his desire to to build a, a temple for the Lord. His response was, uh, you're not going to do that. You're a bloody man. You're a man of violence. You're a man of war. You're not going to build uh, a sanctuary for me. But your son, I will, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And on that throne, on his throne, uh, the throne of David, it, he will reign forever. And uh, those, that's the promise I'm making to you. So we've got a royal promise to, to Abraham that he would be uh, the father of many nations Uh, We have the royal promise to David that on his throne there would not cease to be a king and that ultimately there would be a king that would be set up and he would establish that temple and the abiding place uh, for God uh, for all generations. Uh, So why the number 14? We've got this royal lineage down to Jesus the Messiah, which is again a royal term. It means the king, but it's 14 generations. Well, There is one way of looking at it. There's a numerology or the way that Jews would sometimes interpret names. They would assign numbers to them. Uh, The letters had number values in Hebrew. They don't have numbers, so they would assign number values to letters. So DWD would be a number. Those numbers there would add up to the number 14. So this idea is we're we're surrounding it. This is like David's number. Uh, This is like the number of the king. So that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is that we have uh, three series of 14, uh, three series of 14, 14, 14, and 14, which is actually six series of seven. Now, seven is highly important in the scriptures. 
um, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The, uh, the creation was, uh, the God's creation was seven days long, uh, according to Genesis 1 and early into Genesis 2. And then also you see that uh, they're like uh, the fulfillment of Cain's uh, murder, when it, it fulfilled and had its kind of final um, uh, impact in the life of his seventh born uh, grandson, uh, Lamech where there was this kind of escalatory violence, this result, these sevens, very, very important. And uh, it was symbolic in the festivals, in the feasts, in the years, in the sabbatical years. Uh, all of those things were highly symbolic to them. So when we look at six series of seven, we would recognize that the next series would begin, the seventh series of seven would begin with the next child born. And the next child born after Joseph is Jesus. He is the final king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the final one. And that's what Matthew's really driving at here. He's saying there have been six series of sevens in the kings of, of uh, Israel from Abraham all the way down to Joseph, so to speak, or men in the kingly line. And, uh, and Jesus the Christ is that uh, next generation, that seventh generation. So uh, if that is helpful to you, I think that that is really where Matthew is going with this. He's just saying, hey, this is it. This is where it all culminates. Right here, right now, in Jesus, the Messiah. There's no, the hope that we've had for many, many years that God would send his Messiah, that his king would establish his throne forever. That time has come. And so let's continue reading now in the 18th verse of the first chapter. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So apparently uh, Joseph and uh, Mary were betrothed, but they hadn't come together and she came up pregnant. Now we're going to read later on uh, in the Gospels about uh, the kind of the, oh, there was a bit of a rumor mill going on about Jesus. I, as a matter of fact, one, one time, uh, some of his detractors uh, were arguing with him. This is over in the Gospel of John, and he says, We be not born of fornication. See, the assumption was, and everybody knew it in the community, that she was pregnant before they were married. And so this was a bit of a stigma. And so that's probably another reason why all of these four women who had a sexual stigma aligned to them uh, were somehow uh, kind of, uh, they were granted a pass by Israel. And so Matthew's saying, hey, if you're Israel, you know you've granted these women a pass for their actions because of their faith in God. Definitely let's not malign uh, Mary's character uh, with this spurious lie of sexual immorality. And so, so he says she's betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and willing, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. See, not even Joseph. <laughs> I mean, that'd be a hard one to swallow, right? You know, yeah, I'm pregnant, but I, I didn't cheat on you. And uh, yeah, that would really... That, that wouldn't go over real well. But while Joseph was considering this, see, I th think it's already good. Under the law, he could have had her condemned to death. But here he's a just man. And what he wants to do is he just wants to make this a private affair. He wants to 
bring down the noise around her. He cares for her. But while he's considering these things, it says that, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So that's, a, that's an interesting thing, that he, his name was going to be called Jesus, uh, which, is, which, is like, which is like Joshua in Hebrew. So Joshua, who helped save the people of Israel from the, the power of Egypt and deliver them into the promised land, this same Joshua, this same Jesus, they, he will save his people not from uh, the, Rome, the, the powers, not from the Egyptian powers or the Babylonian powers or the Roman powers. He's not going to throw that off, but he's going to deliver people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord ha- had spoken by the prophet. Behold, and this is a quotation from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted uh, God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and she called his name Jesus. So I hope those were interesting to you. They're definitely interesting to me. I think the the whole uh, structure of that first chapter, so many times when I was reading this growing up, I'd just be like, oh, the genealogies. My God, didn't we get enough of that from Chronicles or Genesis? Well, I, that, that's the most boring part. Or Numbers. Lord God, help us. I didn't almost make it through Numbers. And so you, you get to this point and you think, not the New Testament. We're supposed to be different here. But the reality is, is that there's a theological message that is being um, promoted here in this first chapter uh, that Matthew is wanting to lay down this idea that we have a new king, he's the final king, and he is that that promised uh, son of God that was going to sit on David's throne, that God would call his son, and uh, he would save his people from their sins. And not just Israel from their sins, uh, but as we will see, and I mentioned, uh, all of the, his mother's people, all of his mother's people, the Hittites, the Canaanites, Moabites, they're all delivered. They're all given uh, support and help within the kingdom of God. And so we're going to continue through this, and I hope that it'll be effective for everyone. Uh, I want to start rehearsing these things again. I just can't get away from Jesus, and I don't. It'll, these passages uh, in Matthew that we cover, uh, they will take us all across the scriptures. They'll take us from Genesis to Revelation. And so my hope is, is that as we go through this, uh, we get another full view of what Matthew intended in uh, conveying his gospel. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to Rethinking the Gospel. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit my website, robmassey.com, where you will find show notes for this podcast as well as my Planet Jesus podcast. Thanks again.